I'm not gonna lie. So season the first couple of episodes of season seven, I never quite retained because those are like the Nick Lachey episodes and they are so bad. And I mm. just don't wanna remember them, you know, for my own sort of like self-care. Nick wants to be an actor so bad though. Like if you go on his IMDB before it even says singer songwriter, which is what he's best known for, which is what has made him his money. It says actor first. Girl, what is, what are you acting, Nick? <laughs> it's like, baby, mind the business that pays you is what I'm going to say to that. everyone this is alex and this is m welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is the podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary For much more exclusive content, become a show producer on Patreon and get after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the back half of the original Charmed. This series ended 14 years ago. Not a single year has passed since where it wasn't being broadcast on Syndicate or via streaming services. And it's also seen impressive sales and home release of DVD box sets as well. So what is it about this series that keeps us under its spell? What can we take away from Charmed? And what do we think made this series so ubiquitous? Stay tuned. everyone if you were here with us last week um excellent but if you weren't let's just do a quick recap on the details of the show charmed is a drama a fantasy and a supernatural fiction it was created by constance m berg and it aired from october 7th 1998 until may 21st 2006 on the wb for eight seasons and a total of 178 episodes that's a lot, you guys. <laughs> it recently had a reboot. The newest Charmed um, was released in 2018. And this current series also had comic book spinoffs. I use that term spinoffs loosely. Charmed season 9 and season 10 were released as comic books. The series stars Shannon Doherty as Prudence Prue Hallowell. Holly Marie Combs as Piper Hallowell. Alyssa Milano as Phoebe Hallowell, Brian Krause as Leo Wyatt, and Rose McGowan as Paige Matthews. So these are all our major players. We covered seasons one through four last week. Check that out if you haven't already. So let's jump right into season five. Season five, as well as season six, were the longest seasons of this series. They We jumped from our normal 22-episode run to 23 episodes. Um, season five also kind of brought the show back to what it started to be circa season two, where we had a bunch of musical guests. Season five, we had the Flaming Lips, Michelle Branch, Beth Orton, Loudermilk performing on the show. And we even had Pat Benatar and her husband, Neil Gerardo, star on the show as themselves. So there were a lot of things happening. 
we've known Paige now for an entire season. She's really well integrated into the Hallowell family. What are some major narratives in season five that you want to discuss, Alex? I guess before I get to specific narratives, I actually think season five is one of the show's strongest seasons. I think when a show gets to a fifth season, it um, starts to slip a little, but or uh, in some people's cases, a lot. But Charmed is one of those is another one of those shows that we get to season five, and I think it's definitely the bet one of the best seasons of the series. Charm season five feels like what Charm season two wanted to be. Like in terms of you have these uh, storylines, but they're very episodic. Um, there's no real one big connecting plot in season five, but it is focused more on the women and relationships with each other and their relationships with themselves, their unit as a family and how do they keep growing with each other and how do they keep growing as individuals while still very much being with each other. And that's the big sort of, I think, thematic presence in season five, which is really great and smart. It's actually, and it doesn't feel um, as discombobulated or unsure as I think season two and season one felt to me. I agree with that. Um, actually, so I was actually going to mention too that um, with a lot of shows, like you said earlier, season four, season five, they start to fall off. But most of those shows don't go past the season five anyway. And I think there's a correlation here between the show getting stronger in season five and then the network renewing it for three more seasons, right? That fifth season was a powerhouse, I think. The first half of season five is like Cole becomes like a full on stalker <laughs> and loses his mind. But then the back half of season five is Paige trying to find some individuality for herself. But then and the and the baby is born. As we mentioned last season, all those seasons one through four were 22 episodes. This one is 23, which means that Charmed had its 100th episode this season, um, season five. And this was actually the last episode where we see Julian McMahon, who plays Cole. Now, they wanted the character to stay on the show, the Cole character to stay, and actually had conjured up the storyline where Cole and Paige have an affair this season. That was what was supposed to happen. But Julian McMahon was, quote, tired of the Cole character, thought that he told all the story he was going to tell, and he wanted off the show. And... I think that the decision he made was for the betterment of the show and kept the quality of the show strong. I really, really don't think the show and the premise of the show and um, female unity and this sisterly bond could have survived a plot like Paige and Cole having an affair. <laughs> Cole sleeping with any of her sisters makes no sense, but Paige in particular, who has deep distrust and dislike for him, possibly even stronger than Prue did um, when she was still alive, it just makes no sense. Sometimes when two people dislike each other, it's just tension. It doesn't have to be sexual. Stop making everything sexual. <laughs> and it just wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Cause he's just done. He's just wreaked so much havoc on. Right. Not only Phoebe, but like their family as a whole. They've he's he just it's too much. And but, like you said, he becomes a whole stalker this season, right? Which like is to be expected because he's a demon, and you can't just have a clean breakup with a demon, right? And it's funny because at the beginning of the fifth season, I actually feel kind of bad for Cole, and I actually think there's something like 
I think there's an interesting thing that's happening in his arc in the sense of he shows up in the mermaid episode and from the mermaid episode till about episode seven, that whole seven episode arc, he is legitimately trying to be better. But at the end of the day, like he doesn't grasp that like nothing he does is going to make up for everything that he did. Well, I was watching it and I was thinking, damn, this is a really good lesson in that if you used to be a bad person and you used to do bad things and you're trying to change and you're trying to be better, that has to be because you want to do it of your own volition and you can never expect the people you hurt to forgive you. You just have to let that go. You have irreparably harmed their family. Like you could save 12 puppies, 25 babies out of a burning building. It does not matter. Like that will never change what you did. And like, it's like he couldn't grasp that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Before there was Damon Salvatore, we had Cole, right? Cole was the one that was trying to like good deeds his way into like better press, better PR. Like he's trying to do that hard rebrand and it just wasn't working. It wasn't working. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, boo, but like all this shit that you did, like, I mean, it worked for, it worked for Damon. Um, but it, it's kind of interesting because it only started working for Damon when he actually started doing good things because he wanted to, not because he wanted to impress Elena. That's crucial to note as well. Cole is trying to outrun who he is, but no matter how much love he has for Phoebe and how much he wants her, he's still a demon. He's still Rosemary's baby. <laughs> and I'm yeah. sorry, Cole, but that's like who you are, fam. He does the most and he finally gets his in the hundredth episode, which... I wanted Cole to die, but I'm not going to lie. His death in the 100th episode was sort of anticlimactic to me. It was. Because it wasn't the season finale, right? It's like the middle of the season. So it's like, okay, cool. He's dead. What do we do now? Right. Because I remember watching that episode live in real time and feeling mm-hmm. like it was anticlimactic. And then I watched it again, like, just now. And then it's, it's still anticlimactic. Because it's like, it's one of those, you know what if alternate reality episodes and then they kill him, but then it's just like over. Right. I would have preferred to see Cole go out a little bit later, like maybe the season five finale. Um, Because in Cole's absence, and Cole leaves this big gaping void because his character had been so enmeshed in the series very early on. Right. And he alternated between being an anti-hero and being a full-on villain throughout the series. Um, And so they give us this Chris character who honestly was really annoying to me. And I wish this character had never existed. Like almost almost as strongly as I wish Dawn had never existed. I wish Chris had never been brought to the show. (laughs) Yeah. And Chris finally shows up, like, I think at the end of season five. I mean, shout out to the show because at least I think... I don't really feel the Cole void until, um, well, not I don't feel it, but, like, I'm pretty much over it by the time we get to, like, when Piper has the baby um, in episode 14 of season five. Once Piper has the baby, I'm like, yes, the baby. Like, and I feel the like the baby. The of that was very good. <laughs> it, it was. It's actually really well paced. <laughs> like... <laughs> Because if she had a baby before Cole died, we would still be hung up on Cole, right? But then she has right. a baby after, me, baby Wyatt. He's adorable. Fuck Cole. <laughs> right. The, <laughs> so. whole, 
the whole tone of the show shifts. I feel like everything shifts and I'm like, yes, I'm here for this, this baby. Or I mean, at least at first I'm here for this baby. Um, (laughs) and then we get to, uh, one of, I think one of the best season finales of Charmed, um, which is, Oh My Goddess, part one and part two. And then that's when we meet Chris, who is introduced in this episode. Um, And then that's the end of season five. So Chris is Piper's youngest son. We should clarify that. Um, He's the son that she's going to have after Wyatt. But this is future Chris, who has come back from the future to clean some shit up. I kind of always hate when shows do this because it's never done right. Ironically enough, the only show that I feel like messes with time in a way that was really fun and engaging was The Witches of East End. This Chris character showing up from the future to try to fix things from the past, it was, it it did not hit. I'm sorry. It did not hit for me. I understand. It's one of those things that's so hard because like babies are cute, you know, but as we'll come to like discover, I think when we get to season six is that babies are hard to work with and they're hard to like integrate into story. So you want to age them up as quickly as humanly possible. So I understand what they were trying to do. They were like, how do we have these babies, but like not have to focus on these babies, but still integrate these kids, but like make them older. But like, it's a weird, you know, it's a weird thing. That's kind of my problem though, because I feel like if they had brought future Wyatt, I would have been down with that. But you're bringing me a future version of a child that she hasn't even had yet. Pause. And this is something we'll talk about a bit more when we get to season six. But, like, in all fairness, I think when they initially introduced the Chris character, they had no clue that he was going to be her kid. I don't think the writers had a clue that Chris was going to be their... I think they made that up at the last minute and figured... You know what? You're probably right, because it feels like they don't know who this person is. And I think that's one of the reasons why I can't stand the character, because I'm like, why are you here? Oh, why is you here? (laughs) (laughs) season five what do we think about season five season five the sisters powers continue to grow and i'm very down with that piper learns molecular combustion um phoebe learns to astral premonition and Paige learns to glamour i think that the, the the show constantly remembering its focus on the three sisters and showing us how their powers evolved and of course piper having baby wyatt and um not necessarily when, but how the Cole character gets taken out, I think were all huge highlights of season five. So I'm going to give season five a good minus. Yeah, same. For I think for what Charmed is and what it does and what it tries to do and what just its nature, I'm giving season five a solid bona fide good. I think the episodes are fun. I think they're funny. Um, I think the writing improves. <laughs> on this show so much this season for a reason that I don't know why. I think maybe they got a new writer. I don't know. There was like a... Maybe they just saved Brad from himself. (laughs) (laughs) They did. Um, They got like a really great team in there. Uh, Do you want to go over some favorite episodes? Yeah, yeah, sure. What are some of your faves? I love A Witch's Tale Part 1 and Part 2. Those are... That's a great... uh, Episode 4, which is in tights. That's where Charm does like superheroes. That's really fun. Episode nine, uh, Y Tu Mummy Tembien. I think that's a funny title because the movie. 
Um, but then it's also about like mummies. <laughs> I love a bad pun. I love Lucky Charmed. That's the Pat Benatar episode. That's really fun. Episode 18, Nymphs Just Want to Have Fun. That's also a good one, too. 21 and 22, Oh My Goddess, part one and part two, that season closer. That is a, that's a, that's a killer of a season closer. I'm not going to lie. I really love this season. And um, we talked about a lot about guest stars on this show, like musical guests. There were like a huge array of guest starring actors on this show. Basically, if you never guest starred on Charmed or Flash Forward, just retire. It's not for you. Acting's not for you. (laughs) They don't like you. Um, But I say all this to say one of my favorite episodes was actually, I really loved A Witch's Tale. The season opener was really, really great. The Eyes Have It, which was episode six. um, Tobin Bell, better known as Jigsaw, uh, stars on this episode. He gets stars on this episode. Um, If you like the Saw franchise, you guys, yeah. Um, He's been playing the creepy old man for a while. Um, A Witch in Time, that's episode eight. I really love that one. Mm, Episode 10, the E2 Mummy Tabian. That's a really, really good episode. The Importance of Being Phoebe is great. Gosh, um, episode 14, San Francisco Dreamin', and episode 20, Sense and Sensibility. So, um, yeah, those are my favorite. And speaking of good puns, um, episode 21, Necromancing the Stone. <laughs> That's cute. Um, based on that movie, Romancing the Stone. Um, season five was really great. The Chris character, I could have done without. And he's here. He's here to stay. It doesn't matter. He's here for all of season six. They Um, always are. (laughs) They always are. They bring these characters and you can't get rid of them. They never die off. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Um, So season six, we open. um, And season six, uh, we open with with Val Halley of the Dolls, parts one and part two. It's another two-part opener. We were at, like, a huge reset, actually, because at the end of season five, Oh My Goddess, part one and part two, they had to be reincarnations of the Greek gods to defeat the Titans or whatever. And through all of that, because the Titans wanted to, like, kill all the elders uh, on the show, like, you know, the elders are, like, basically, like, the big bosses for the side of good. Leo became an elder, and so Leo is now gone it, coming into season six he's gone off to be an elder but unbeknownst to them he's not actually in like elder land chris has sent him off to be somewhere else yeah he's in he's being held captive in valhalla the mythology geeks out there that's where um it's a norse mythology and basically if, if you're viking and you die in battle then you're gonna go to valhalla and you're gonna live with the valkyries we can talk about this some more in True Blood because people didn't understand why Eric would choose to become a vampire um, rather than die a natural death. That's why. Because if you die like in bed instead of on the battlefield, then you won't go to Valhalla. So that's why he took that choice to become a vampire. <laughs> but this is where Leo ends up. He don't want to be here. <laughs> and his family doesn't really know that he's here yet. Right, because they're like, as far as they know, he's supposed to be an elder. He's like... He's an elder now. He's supposed to be leading the elders because of everything that happened. You know, now that we're having this conversation, now I'm realizing more reasons why I don't like the Chris character. They clearly didn't know who he was supposed to be. That much is obvious. 
Um, but because they didn't know he was supposed who he was supposed to be, Chris comes into this show very much an antagonist, right? Just there. He's causing trouble, he's making trouble, and he's doing it strategically. So then how are you gonna like later try to rebrand this person? <laughs> Yeah, so like let's get into that. So basically that's what happens. They so this so this Chris character starts happening and clearly for about like for a good 5 to 6 episodes like the writers really it's clear that the writers don't have a clue who this person is because um and like what his purpose is because everything that he does is like he's very adversarial, he's very sneaky and when Leo like frees himself essentially not frees himself but when when leo finally gets a message to the sisters to come to valhalla to free him leo is on full like no trust mode with chris like leo's like you're a sneaky ass bitch like i know (laughs) it like don't talk to me (laughs) like i I mean all facts though all facts (laughs) like don't talk to me i can't kill you but like i just give me a reason and i'm there and Chris like, was like Chris really went to the future and sabotaged their opinion of him before he was even born. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so so it's that basically the one like purely good character Leo is against Chris which is you know at least as a now that we've been spending so much time with these characters is a huge signal to the audience that like this person is like a no. And then like There are some episodes where, like, Drew Fuller, the actor, that's the actor who plays Chris, will have, like, weird sexual tension or energy with one of the three leads. Yes. And so... Especially, especially Phoebe. Am I wrong about this? No. Like, yeah, Phoebe and Paige, it happens for both of them. To the point where, like, like, it's directed in the episode. Paige comes in in some outfit. He looks Paige up and down in her, like, outfit or for her date or whatever. And it's clear that it's, like, a sexual thing. (laughs) And I mean, the direction makes it clear that it's a sexual thing. Because, like, Paige comes in in the outfit, and then it's, like, a cut to Drew Fuller. And Drew Fuller, he looks her up, he looks her down. And then it cuts back to Paige. And then it cuts back to the master of all of them in the kitchen. So then when we find out, like, mid like season six that oh they're all like his aunts <laughs> it's like what right like even at at the time because i was watching the show as it aired right so i was watching one episode a week i couldn't fully articulate all the reasons i didn't like the chris character but watching the series again watching the episodes in succession back to back to back and like you know watching like eight ten episodes a day <laughs> I was like, oh man, this is worse than I remember. <laughs> yeah. This is so much worse than I remember. Because like, here's the thing, and we did say we do some rewriting where necessary. If you didn't know what direction to pull the Chris character in, and you wanted to be like, oh, he's someone's son, what you do is you reveal that, um, you know, uh, Phoebe is. Uh, you know, a few weeks, a month or so pregnant, and that Chris is her child with Cole. Because his his actions, this antagonist behavior, actually makes sense for someone who's half demon, 
first of all, <laughs> not half witch and half white, half white lighter, but actually half demon. Number one, number two, you can give us this great redemption arc where she is able to save his character in a way that she could not do with Cole by appealing to his humanity. Yeah, that could be something. Um, I could see that. I think it's hard because, like, you know, at the end of season five, they've already shown Chris, like, orbing and using white light. They just shot themselves in the foot way earlier on. (laughs) They were in in deep mess, and it it was hard to get out of. Once it's like, hey, he's Piper's son. Like, Drew Fuller's whole, like, attitude changes. Like, there's no more of this, like, weird... I want to fuck my aunt vibes. So then Chris's whole arc, which is really the defining arc of season six, Chris is here to save Wyatt Wyatt from being evil. Now, I want to take it back very quickly to season five, episode 22, Necromancing the Stone. So this, that whole episode where uh, Necromancing the Stone is about Wyatt's, um, like, you know, Wicca baptism, essentially. I don't remember the name of it, but I remember that it's basically a baptism for, like, witches. And and Grams is supposed to come and perform it for Wyatt, right? So Grams gets there and sees that Wyatt is not a girl. And Grams has questions. <laughs> Grams doesn't want to perform the ritual. Grams is not, is feeling a type of way. Grams is like, Men in our family who get powers end up evil. (laughs) She just says that shit straight up. And it's funny. And I find it kind of like a funny episode. Because basically the whole episode is like, misandry. See, women can be just as discriminating against men. (laughs) But then the entire arc of season six is why it is going to be evil. So basically, Graham's high points. (laughs) Right points were made and like by the time we find out that chris is also piper and leo's son his ass has done some evil shenanigans too yeah chris walks a yeah and that's another thing with that character like i think they tried they wanted chris to be like morally gray like he's actually not good like he because chris does do like some shady things he like hangs out with demons which you're like not really supposed to do and like or the show has established up until this point, you're not really supposed to do. That's like, not like a thing. Um, but he like does, but yeah, like the, so it's interesting that the, this episode that the show gave us a whole like tisk tisk ladies, don't be so mean to men. And then the entire season six arc is like, why it is evil is destined to become mm. evil mm. after being raised in this good ass home with these good ass people. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Chris is like those white people who are quote not racist but are friends with racists. He just be hanging out with demons all the time, and like banishing his father to Valhalla and shit. Like for what, sir? For what? What, what was the purpose? <laughs> what was the reason? Um, I mean, in Wyatt's defense, not Chris's defense. In Wyatt's defense, um, we learn in season seven like the things that lead to him becoming evil have nothing to do with Piper and Leo, um, but uh, an, um, a possible future, a possible reality where he is um, raised th- in an environment that, another environment by other people that leads him to be evil, right? Like it's not Piper and Leo's fault, but Chris doesn't have that excuse, does he? <laughs> he doesn't. He's um, just um, middling. It's, it's strange. 
we do get some more musical guests this season. We have Smash Mouth, we have Stedman, now Oprah's boyfriend, Ziggy Marley, and Andy Stocknaski, um, all on the show. I think by season six, I really stopped caring about the musical guests because like the drama is like real. Um, season six, we're also introduced to this thing called Magic School, which we've literally never even heard of before now. Never. It's introduced. The, ki- the, the, the charmed ones didn't go to this place. It's never been spoken about. If you add a bus to the end of Magic School, it, it's as, that's as ridiculous as how this sounds. <laughs> doesn't even have a real name. It's just Magic School. Yeah, and it's like, um, and, and it doesn't have a name. It's just called Magic School. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely something, it's different. But I, but I like season six. Um, season six, we say goodbye to uh, Eric Dane. I guess he's going off to like be on Grey's Anatomy at this point. Be McSteamy on Grey's Anatomy. He is, in my opinion, Phoebe's best boyfriend. Jason was the one for real. The late 90s didn't like white women to be happy, though. <laughs> they didn't. I'm noticing that. Like, wow. So we're watching these shows. I'm like, wow. White women could not catch a break in the late 90s. They sure couldn't. I mean, Piper got her her man, right? But then he goes up to be an elder, so they can't be together. And then the person who was actually right for her, Dan, wasn't really trying to be with a witch. So it's like, you can have them, but you can't have them. <laughs> you can't have them. That's, that's real Phoebe, shit. The love of Phoebe's life is a literal demon. The most dangerous demon to ever walk the earth. But, like, that's that's her true love, though. <laughs> that's her, I was like, damn, it's really getting fucked up for these girls. Um, Paige starts dating this guy who can't, who doesn't, like, use witchcraft because, like, I guess he gets evil on it. It never ends well. So he, of his own volition, decided to stop. Which is, in- eh, it's interesting. I love I love the self-restraint. I do. I love it. I love a king with self-control. However, this goes against the premise of the show that witches are good and warlocks and demons are bad, right? Right. I feel like <laughs> I feel like they're trying to expand on this point that Graham's made in season two, maybe, but like it's not it's not hitting. That's that's the point. It's not hitting. I mean, Graham's did say you can't trust men with power, and they continue to prove her right. Listen, Graham thought I hear said some really real shit, and they weren't trying to hear it. <laughs> In season six, future Chris dies, thank goodness, and baby Chris is born healthy and thriving. Hopefully, um, he makes a different set of decisions this time. Um, Phoebe's powers continue to grow this season. She becomes an empath, which, and that that growth for her is really, really interesting to see because I. I feel like in regards to how their powers grow, the writers do know what they, they're doing. They do have a trajectory. They are looking at the long game because their powers evolve in a way that feels natural and organic. Right. And then, um, exactly. And so the season, <laughs> the season ends with uh, baby Chris is born at the end of, of season six. And... Um, the sisters and Leo defeat uh, Gideon, who is basically an op. There's a character named Gideon, and he comes in. He's from magic school. That's why we don't care about him that deeply. But he was an Isn't op. Isn't he like the school. headmaster or whatever? <laughs> yeah, he's the headmaster of magic school. And we have an evil Dumbledore in our midst. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he's, a, he's a whole op. And he um, 
tries to mess everything up and they they thwart him and that is how season six ends Gideon was a mess I I really like the whole storyline because I feel like it was a really great way to integrate the baby specifically baby Wyatt into the plot we learned very early how powerful Wyatt is like there's an episode um early this season or at the end of last season, I forget which, where like he's watching a dinosaur on TV and he brings that shit to life and it's just stomping around San Francisco. Oh yeah, as that's a, baby. a great one. <laughs> he does this as a baby, you guys. So he's very powerful and Gideon's like, nah, this is too, this child is too powerful. He's half witch, half white lighter. Forget the fact that we actually have an adult version of those running around, Paige, mm. and she hasn't ended the world yet. No, we got to save the world from this kid. In the future that, that Chris is trying to prevent is a future where he successfully kidnaps Wyatt and raises him in an, envi- in an environment so rigid and so repressed and so abusive that Wyatt becomes the evil person that Gideon had feared all along, right? right. Um, that To stop Gideon's self-fulfilling prophecy, um, which they do. Yay for that. Um, but Gideon was a mess. Magic school and the idea of magic school was kind of a mess. We literally never heard the words magic school uttered until season six. Never. <laughs> not once. Not once. But you Another one of those. <laughs> so right, way early right. on. But it's so important, though. In season six, not only are we introduced to the concept of magic school, but it becomes so important. And it never uh, leaves, like, f- for the rest of the series unfortunately um but do you have any favorite episodes from season six yes yes i do the holly of the dolls part one and two it's a great opener loves a witch uh the sword in the city that's a good one i love witch stock i think that's hilarious i also like i dream of phoebe the legend of sleepy hollywell spin city is really fun and witch wars yeah, all of those were great. And I loved seeing Balthazar Getty on the show. He's a great actor. I think that name kind of puts people off, but he's had a really good career. If you guys don't know who he is, he played one of the leads in The Lord of the Flies. Great actor. Um, my favorites are also Valhalla of the Dolls. Um, these two episode openers, I think, did really great things. I think it was a risk, obviously, when they first tried this. And I believe it was episode season th- season four when they first tried this. But it turned out to be like a hit formula for Charmed. Um, these long openers and long season closers. I really liked episode four, The Power of Three Blondes. Yeah, I, I like the comedic episodes. And I like, like I said um, last episode, I like the fact that, yeah, there's like a, a central plot, but also like you don't have to be too invested in each episode. Each episode is a little different. I loved episode nine, Little Monsters. I loved episode 10, Crisscrossed. Episode 15, I Dream of Phoebe. Yeah, those are my favorites. Um, what do you think of season six overall? Magic school, baby Chris is born. We got a lot of action. Is it good, bad, or basic? You know, even with the whole, who is Chris? What does he do in this plot? I do think when they eventually figure it out, it's because I I like, I even love the whole episode where like, it's him and this like really, this girl Bianca and like they go through the, it's a whole drama. But like, I think I'm giving it a good minus. I think it's still strong. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, I'm gonna give it a basic plus. I'm not gonna lie to you. Basic plus. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a basic plus. It's like the cable that you had in the '90s. It doesn't have HBO, doesn't have stars, but it does have the Disney Channel and Nick, and that's good enough for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because it's so real. Um, uh, Yeah, like (laughs) season six. So season seven. All right, we're back to 22 episode order. uh, The show... The writing is still strong, I believe, in season seven. We have a couple musical guests, literally two, the Donnas and Collective Soul. But we get more integrated into the plot, I feel, because both Piper and Paige's powers continue to grow this season. Um, And Phoebe regains her power of premonition, which she had lost sometime last season. So let's talk about that. Um, This season, also notably, is the only season where Piper doesn't time travel. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, That's just random trivia. I wouldn't have noticed if I weren't, like, trying to look up trivia on this show, but it is the only season where she doesn't time travel. um, Because, remember, her powers are time-based. But I think they were trying to do... I guess try to be a little less gimmicky with the power season seven and try to make the show a bit more serious. (laughs) Right. I'm not gonna lie. So, season... The first couple of episodes of season seven... I never quite retain because those are like the Nick Lachey episodes and they are so bad and I Mm. just don't want to remember them, you know, for my own sort of like self-care. Nick wants to be an actor so bad though. Like if you go on his IMDb before it even says singer songwriter, which is what he's best known for, which is what has made him his money. It says actor first. What is, what are you acting, Nick? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, baby, Mind the business that pays you is what I'm gonna say to that. Nick Lachey is trying to act. He's not good at it. It's really pain. His episodes are really painful to watch. I feel like when you watch them, you realize how great of an actor Alyssa Milano is, mostly because of just how much she's carrying him. It's really, I think that is really impressive. Shout out to Alyssa Milano. You're a professional and a talent girl. Don't let anybody ever tell you any different. Um, even though you might be crazy now but still you you earned that (laughs) she's she's problematic but you know a lot of talented people are but once you get past that then we have another another favorite friend that we've come to to know and love shows up in season seven um curse smith from dawson's creek i mean curse smith curse smith baby no but he must be a really nice person or he's made the right friends because they never let him go without a check. That's right. You know <laughs> what I mean? And like, he's not, cause I was like, cause that was also something that interested me about season seven. I was like, okay, like now let's see. I want to, I was sort of like, okay, now that Dawson's were Dawson's Creek is finished. You know, this is a new show, new writers, new material. You don't have to try to pretend that you're attracted to men anymore. You're clearly not in your real life, like because you could never make that work in in Dawson's Creek. So let's let's see, let's let's see the chops. Let's see what what you have to bring to the table, and it's still not a lot. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, um, it's uh, what fifteen years later. He is guest starring on Riverdale as the new principal, Principal Honey, and um, he's he's still non acting to the gods. Uh, listen, praise. 
Listen, but you know what? Um, he's trying to do his Silver Fox thing. It's not really hitting. Um, but he's getting those checks. And on Riverdale, I feel like the his performances are less grating because he's he's, a, he's surrounded by a sea of bad acting and bad dialogue. See, so that's that's interesting. So maybe it like it it all evens out, you know. Yeah, because like I see, I like juxtapose him with like Camila Mendez, for example, and I'm like, he's not that bad. <laughs> Something that I also I like was kind of really quick and and not not because I really don't want to talk about Riverdale, but um, something that kind of got me was like just seeing Chad Michael Murray on Riverdale. I was like, oh, Chad Michael Murray does things like. Oh, he'd be acting, acting. <laughs> that's what, exactly. That's what I said. I was like, oh, he'd be acting, acting. Like, he could really sit out here and do something. Doing a little something. We should be better to Chad Michael. Mm-hmm. He He's not just very, very good looking. He has talent. I just want to point out, he carried his lead role as Lucas Scott on One Chill for eight years. And that's very difficult because he was... He married his co-star, Sophia Bush, and then cheated on her within a month of being married. And she had the marriage annulled. And the writers had to literally rewrite an entire season because she didn't want to be love interest with him on screen anymore. And they still had to make that shit work. And he still had to pretend like... And Sophia Bush, shout out to her. That's when I knew she was a great actress because she had to pretend like she didn't want to beat the shit out of him every time they were in intimate moments together on screen. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody on that show was a professional. <laughs> a professional. So, so Kerr Smith is here, and he's playing Kyle. Um, <laughs> Kyle and Kyle. Kyle's whole thing, and what will be the overarching plot of season seven, is that like no more avatars. The avatars are evil. Um, and he's he's out to get the avatars. The avatars were a concept that were introduced to us back all the way back in season five, um, circa Cole, when, uh, Cole becomes an avatar. He is inducted into the avatar club. Um, and he wastes his avatarness to do some foolishness that helped him end up dead. But, um, the avatars are back. Avatars are back in season seven, and and Kyle is not about the avatars. Full disclosure, I had completely forgotten that Kurt Smith was on season seven until I rewatched season seven. <laughs> He's very forgettable. Like I'm not sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's not messing with it. And I really don't understand what the harm is with these avatars. Like they're like literally like it's a thing. It exists. I think it's not the end all be all. (laughs) I think the thing with the avatars is like if Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Gates all came together, like to just do what they're doing, like that's the avatars. That's how I understood them in the context of this show. And that's why people don't really fuck with them. Is that like there's just too, like it's too much. Okay, so they're like spiritual billionaires. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's how I understood it because everyone's like, because everybody's so shook over it. Like the elders are like, "What y'all not finna do?" Is like just Avatar up in this bitch, and then you know the demons are like, the Avatars cannot stand. Like if there's one thing everyone can agree on, 
is that the avatars ain't shit, except for Leo, who becomes an avatar. And then when you join the billionaires club, all of a sudden you start defending billionaires. Exactly. Right. Cause that, and that's how he, that's exactly how Leo was. Leo was like, well, they're, it's like, y'all just have the wrong idea. Like they're not billionaires trying to control everybody in the world and want to take away free will, even though that's exactly what they proceed to do. They're just trying to like have a world beyond good and evil. I was like, mm-hmm, that sounds like some billionaire shit. Mm-hmm. Like, that sounds like some real capitalist. It's not mm-hmm. about good or bad or racism or sexism. It's just, like, about money or, like, it's just about this thing. I'm like, mm no, girl. That's that's exactly what a billionaire would say. That sounds way too, I don't see color, all lives matter to me. <laughs> right? I'm like, sounds, sounds suspect. I'm with, I'm with the elders, like... This sounds really suspect and I don't agree with it. (laughs) I don't trust it. Don't Don't trust trust those hoes over there. But yeah, Kyle, I feel like the way Kyle presents this is coming off like mad bitter. Which, you know, he has a right to be. But uh, season six, there's another kidnapping attempt. It's like baby Chris this time, right? They try to kidnap Chris in the season opener. Like, there's always something going on. And because there's always something going on within the Hallowell household, it makes everything like his beef with the with Kyle's beef with the Avatar seem rather minor. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, Alex is right. They they do have too much power. It is a problem. <laughs> yeah, and they so they go in. So the whole thing is, is like, and and the Avatars is like I should say really, it's more like the first half of the season plot because it's it concludes it with like a mid season. It's funny, you were talking about how mid-season finales like used to not be a thing. Um, and I feel like you see that in season seven because Charmed just never really did mid-season finales until season seven. Um, and by season seven, that's like, what, 2000 and 2001-ish? Uh, no, it's uh, 2005 because the show ended 2006. All right, right. So it's um it's 2005, and and it's clearly that the Avatar plot is clearly a mid season finale, um because the plot concludes with um basically the sisters help the Avatars take over, and the Avatars do start to get rid of all the demons, but then they start to get rid of humans too. Um, they get rid of humans who who start to have any sort of conflict with each other. Like whether it's like a fight about a parking space or, you know, somebody murders somebody. There's no in between. They just start getting rid of everyone who causes conflict. And that's when the sisters realize, oh, this is not what we signed up for. Mm. (laughs) Um, All that power and no discernment. (laughs) um, This is what we signed up for. We did not sign up to take people's free will. They, you know, proceed to defeat the avatars. So somebody that shows up in season seven is Billy Zane. Love him. Billy Zane is like, you know, he's one of those spicy whites. He's from, he's Greek. So he looks the exact same as the day that he left Rose to die on that boat. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he looks, he looks much less calm, much more calm now. <laughs> <laughs> Because when he found out, when he realized he had left that necklace and that coat, he was shook. <laughs> he was shook. That's true. <laughs> but he's he's here to be Phoebe's boyfriend, he, Phoebe's new boo. And 
he is also a former demon. What is it with Phoebe and these demons? She needs to go to therapy about that. Um, (laughs) But he is, he's a former demon and he's teaching at magic school and he's only alive for like the year. And uh, when it's time for him to go, we see who brought him forth and it's Cole. (laughs) Cole shows up again. We will Cole is a gift that keeps on giving, ain't he? Oh, so Phoebe could believe in love again. Or some foolishness. I don't know, something, something silly. You couldn't conjure her a human fam? She already <laughs> believed in love with a demon once. She did that already. <laughs> she did that. <laughs> no. Oh, also, something cool that happens in season seven is, and that's been happening really through, from season five to season, to now to season seven, is Daryl and his wife are like now getting into problems because of how much he helps the girls and how that's like affected his job negatively. He's been passed over for promotions. He's always running off to like help the girls and cleaning up their messes. And it's it's now started to negatively affect his family, his wife, his child. And his wife like is like, this can't continue. As it and- should. It's only realistic that it should, right? <laughs> Right. And so the season uh, concludes in Zanku breaking into the manor and taking control of like the Nexus, aka the Hollow, which is like this great power that lives in the basement of the, ho- of the Hallowell uh, mansion. And Zanku becomes so powerful that the girls cannot defeat him without exposing themselves. And so so they do defeat Zanku and, and his crew. <laughs> Zanku and his crew. They decide to fake their deaths. They fake their deaths and, and change their identities. And it's actually a really sweet ending because, like, Daryl is, like, really devastated thinking that he lost, like, some of his good friends that he's been... I mean, he's been in the game with for, like, seven years now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he sees, like, these three women and a man who's leo with a baby like walking away and he realized and like one of them waves and gives a wink and he realizes it's them and daryl like laughs and he's able to like move away to the east coast with knowing that his friends are still okay and it's it's a really sweet ending actually to this to the season seven it is um as i said on the last episode daryl was absolutely the token black character but he wasn't tokenized if that makes sense. Like he was one of the few black people period on the show, whether guest or any other capacity, but this character wasn't just existing for the charmed ones. He had his own life. He eventually got his own wife, his own family. He has his own career. And ultimately when we stop seeing Daryl, it's because Daryl moves to the East coast, not because the writers completely forget that this character exists. (laughs) Right. And he moves for like really good reasons. Like he moves for reasons that are totally, absolutely valid. Daryl putting himself first is something that, almost never happens with any of these token characters on the shows. Not your token Asian, definitely not your token Black, especially if that's a Black woman. In fact, many shows, (coughs) TVD, make a habit of the Black character continuously sacrificing their own self-good and the good of their family to 
to take care of our white protagonist, right? Like they will literally put themselves and their family in harm's way and gladly, like they'll know it's harmful when they're doing it and just do it anyway. Exactly. The fact that he puts his wife first, he puts his kids first. That's huge. That's huge. Oh, and still manages to be a good friend to them is, is a big deal. It's, it's not really seen. It's not seen often. That's for sure. (laughs) Definitely, definitely not. And, you know, I hope that that actor Dorian Gregory is enjoying those checks (laughs) from seasons one through seven. (laughs) Love it. Your money, Um, bitch. Season seven also boasts, season seven, episode 22, also shows a pre-Jane the Virgin, Justin Baldoni. He looks very good. He's still fine. Check that out, just for that. Yeah, I really was shocked when I saw him, because I the, I could have sworn, I would have sworn, I would you could have paid me money, and I would like, yeah, Jane the Virgin's the first time I've ever seen this actor. But yeah, he showed up on Charm because again, if you didn't get star on Charmed and you didn't get star on Flash Forward, they don't like you. <laughs> That's true. The Hollywood <laughs> machine has decided that you are not it. <laughs> I don't make the rules. That's just what it is. Everybody's so, on these shows. <laughs> <laughs> so season seven, what do we think about season seven? I thought season seven was good. Solid good. Solid good. Um, you know what? Yeah, I, I'm going to say that too. I wasn't like... I don't think it's as good as five or 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 six, but it is good. It's a solid. It's solid. Y'all know how I feel about season five. <laughs> um, but yeah, season seven was really good. Um, what are some of your favorite episodes? Favorite episodes. I like someone to witch over me. That's good. Witchness protection. There's something about Leo. Showgirls. That's the one where Billy Zane. They basically create an, an entire episode where Billy Zane gets to get back into his Titanic costume. That's funny. Little Box of Horrors is great. 19 Freaky Phoebe is good. And then the, the finale, uh, Something Wicked This Way Goes. Those are all good. Um, I think my favorites would be The Bear Witch Project. We'd be got some Lady Godiva energy on that episode. Episode three, Cheaper by the Coven. Love these puns, really do. Um, also, episode 10, Witchness Protection. Episode 12, Extreme Makeover World Edition. <laughs> uh, episode 13, Charmageddon. Episode 14, Carpe Demon. And I would probably say to episode 21, Death Becomes Them. Those are my favorites. Mm. We're in the home stretch, you guys. Episode, season eight. 22 episodes long. It's Charmed's final season. This is a show that actually spanned two millenniums because the show started in 99. So um, this season aired from 2005 to 2006. Um, Really, absolutely no one thought the show would make it this far. (laughs) But they made it. They made it eight seasons. We love it. Our, Our leads are still doing what they have to do. They bring it regardless regardless of who the writers throw into the plot or what ridiculous elements <laughs> magic school get thrown into the mix <laughs> they do what they have to do um so let's talk about that final season final seasons are tricky especially when the writer's room knows in advance that it's their last one right which they did um people i i remember when the announcement happened it happened i think 
the year before, like that it was their last season. So they knew going in that this was it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I feel about this season. I well, I hate the Billy plot. I hate it. I hate the, the Billy Same. plot. Same. Like, oh so All my life, I've just wanted someone to agree with me on this. Like, I like the concept of the Billy plot. Like, the cons—I like the con- yeah, the conceptualness of it. I would have probably been like, yeah, that's cute. Like, cause it's like you know, they're witch and she's and y'all y'all fucked up with Piper's kids being men. Y'all were just so adamant about that <laughs> for whatever reason. I don't know why. Cause I honestly like I never liked that the kids were um boys like for the same reason that you brought up last episode of like it's a very matriarchal show just let it be that like it has all these really strong themes of like matriarchy and like women and women through time and women through the ages and the fact that both the kids are boys didn't make any sense to me um so I already hated that. So, but let's, but you know, some aggrieved white man in the room was like, their kids should be boys. And then Graham should discriminate against them. I'm sure that's what happened. Oh yeah. There was definitely some men, men's rights activist energy in that writer's room. In, in, that, in that writer's room. Somebody was very aggrieved. And so I get it. You had to let him have his thing, but, um, you know what it is when you have power. Not getting attention can feel like oppression. <laughs> it really can. They get really upset. And so I understand why you why that happened. Fine. Y'all let him. It's like, okay, like, see, like, why it's going to be a boy. And he's going to be the most powerful one. Are you happy now? And so there's that. So then going into the last season, this idea of there's another young witch. And she's a young woman. And... They want to help this young woman into her powers. I'm like, oh, well, that's, I, I like that. The old generation, not the old generation, but the old, like the older, more experienced generation of witches mentoring the newer, younger generation of witches. You know, that dynamic, very like motherly dynamic between the two sets of women. Like all of that conceptually works for me. I like it. The execution, however... <laughs> was a mess of the highest proportion. Yeah, it was so cringe. Like, honestly, it sounds good on paper. It does. But y'all could have either given us this in season three or kept it. It's not that I don't like Kaylee Kuko, but I don't know if she was right for this. Yeah, she always seems really uncomfortable with this character. And I thought I was just projecting my dislike onto the character. But then fast forward a few years, I'm seeing her on The Big Bang theory and she is very much in her element with that character this billy does not work for her because of that it doesn't work for the audience maybe with a different actress it, we could have had a similar relationship like what we had with Paige, where it shouldn't work but the writing is tactful enough and the acting is strong enough that it does work but this did not happen with the Billy character. But, you know, Callie Kuko slipped in under that wire. She's still getting her charmed season eight checks. I love that for her, but it was really, really difficult watching her scenes because they were just so bad. 
like integrating her as like this foster daughter to the charmed ones was really annoying. Like Piper got two kids to take care of. Like, who are you, Billy? Who are you? Well, well, that's why, like, you know, <laughs> you know, that's why Phoebe and Paige are there. Phoebe and Paige ain't got no kids. <laughs> I mean, I guess. But like, I mean, or not Phoebe. Paige is trying to turn up. She's dating. So if, you know, she's still a young woman still. She's still acclimating to her powers. Remember, she only got here in season four, her, her damn self. She's still learning a lot. <laughs> Phoebe is is still recuperating from this tumultuous relationship with both Cole and Jason. And the the Billy character kind of throws a wrench in everything because I feel like she kind of stunts the personal growth and evolution of the Charmed Ones because then their narrative becomes focused on teaching and training and nurturing her. It's weird. It's kind of weird to me. Billy needs to go find her Giles, is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, go, go out there and find your Giles, sweetheart. Go to magic school. Isn't that a thing still? She does go to magic school. She spends <laughs> half of her time there. Um, okay, girl, like, stay in school then. <laughs> this is, like, Phoebe's, like, saddest season, in yes. my opinion, though. What's his face? from Sex and the City shows up. Jason Lewis, mm-hmm. Samantha's boyfriend, Samantha's young boyfriend. Yes. Listen, every time I see Jason Lewis run up in a situation, I know he's going to he's about to charm, he's about to he's about to give like good energy. But he it's did about, Samantha right. He did right by her. He's about to make it all better for whoever our female lead is. Mm-hmm. And um, he did not do that. That was not his energy at all and charmed. And it, it felt like a waste of the actor. Y'all could have found somebody else for that. Right. I mean, I love the idea of um, actors getting to cut their teeth, try on different hats, try out different roles. You know, I love the Meryl Streeps and the Julianne Moores and the Christian Bales and the Edward Nortons of the world. But some people have a very specific niche you need to keep them in their lane to get the best out of them. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, that that's his niche, like you said, being charming and being lovely. Being lovely. And he just wasn't any of those things when he shows up on the series. And it's like, well, then why did you do this? Why is mm-hmm. he here? He's like, in fact, like he plays like this playboy where like, that's not really his vibe. Like his vibe is like playboy. That's not really a playboy. But he is, like, legitimately, like, a playboy. And, like, Phoebe's, like, chasing after him, like, in a really desperate fashion. That's just really sad to watch. I just hated it. That's it. I hated it. That was a turn of character that really bothered me more than the the, the underutilization of the actor. This The way that they, they shifted and mutated Phoebe's character was gross to me. Phoebe's the siren. Phoebe's the, sedu- the seductress. She's the one that men chase. Phoebe doesn't chase men. What are you on? And then eventually, obviously, this random person who nobody, like, know, like, who, like, why is this person here? What was his name? Coop? Yes. Oh, my gosh. He, sh- he eventually shows up to, like, give Phoebe a boyfriend. But it feels forced. It's so Yeah, forced. I wasn't here for Cooper. I wasn't here for him at all. Um, and again, y'all really could have just um, saved 15% or more and brought the Jason character back. They really could have. <laughs> oh bitch they really could have like if they she needed to end with somebody if she couldn't just end up alone because i actually think the idea of phoebe just like winding up pregnant one day and then like but being like a single parent feels very her 
that definitely feels like her energy. But if like you, if she has to end with someone, y'all could have brought back Jason. Y'all could have called uh, Eric Dane. I'm sure he would have done that for you. Right. I mean, he wasn't even on Grey's Anatomy yet. Like, I don't think he joined the cast of Grey's Anatomy until like season three or four. You right. know. it's fine and that was like when he was in his like salt and pepper phase and like he was he was at his power then i'm not gonna lie (laughs) oh yes oh yes like i remember like this was the first time full disclosure you guys when i saw eric dane on gray's anatomy and this was a few years after he'd been on charmed and he was he was he was at peak ripeness okay that's the first time i ever googled an actor to see if they were married First time in my life. He is married to Rebecca Gayhart. You might remember her as our lead in the the dark teen comedy Jawbreaker, also starring Rose McGowan. But yeah, he's married to her. And like, you know what? Good for you, sis. <laughs> right. Good for you. You do that, girl. But um, that's the first time I ever was like, damn, is he is he is he married? Like, this man is old enough to be my father. But I was like, okay. <laughs> he's not though. He's not my daddy though. So what's good? <laughs> And he, like, listen, hit the height of his powers. So, like, they, he could have come back and been like, you know, Jason could have been like, Phoebe, I realized I was wrong. Like, I've never stopped thinking about you, girl. I don't care if you're a witch and it's going to complicate my life. Marry me, girl. And I would have been like, yes, Jason, hey. let's go. And, like, it just makes sense because the fact of the matter is men always come back, first of all. When a man leaves you and he knows he was wrong, he comes back. That's the first thing. The second thing is we've already done the dump the girl because she's a witch storyline circa Piper and Dan. We don't need to do that again. Let's just have Jason come back. (laughs) Let's just have him come back. But they didn't. It's this random coop person. I don't know. Whatever. That's cool. So forced. So cringe. So cringe. (laughs) Paige gets with this guy. I don't know his name. She marries him too. I had completely forgotten that Paige got married. Completely, completely forgotten. I was like, oh, that happened. Well, girl, look at that. His name is Henry. He's, you know, a cop, but he's like a good cop because when this mother goes missing or whatever, he doesn't take the child to, to child services. He like stashes the kid with Paige and attempts to find the mother so that the children can be reunified. So I guess that's supposed to mean something. He's still a cop. I don't care. I mean, cops are always good to white women, I guess. I mean, not the ones they're married to. We know those statistics, but in general. (laughs) But in general, I suppose. Um, (laughs) That's Um, what I'm told. But despite having 22 episodes, the end of the season felt very rushed and very forced. It this did. is not a good season for the writer's room. I'm sorry. Just the amount of information that they jammed into the last episode alone. Whew. That was a doozy. They were moving faster than TVD. They were like moving, 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 moving. But yeah, to have Paige meet a guy and then get married... And then um, Phoebe also meet a new guy, and that's like a serious relationship all within this one season. Felt like a lot. Piper's relationship with Leo is literally the only relationship besides Phoebe and Cole that had good pacing. Yeah, I agree. It was just a lot. I mean, you you want men, like you want men to happen. You want to make men a thing. Like, stop it, Gretchen. <laughs> <laughs> it's not okay. They're not a thing. 
We don't you care. You keep throwing these men on us at the last minute. You keep throwing these these babies um, on us, these male babies on us at the last minute, trying to convince us there's not evil, and then telling on yourselves and making them evil. <laughs> hey. We get it. Men deserve rights. Now fix the script. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and, and it's just all this stuff. Like, I do like the cute little, like, wrap-up, like, I guess, montage at the end. That's nice. Whatever. But, I don't know. Just the way we got there was just, it was not, it was, it was an, it's a no for me, dog. Agreed. Um, so, just I'm going to recap this montage real quick. We get this montage on episode 22, Forever Charmed, where Chris and Wyatt grow up. Phoebe goes into labor for the third time after marrying Coop. They have three daughters. Paige and Henry have a bunch of kids. We learn that Piper's, one of Piper's granddaughters is named Prudence Hallowell after her, her oldest sister, Prue. All of this good stuff happens. Now, I'm not anti-montages. If you were here for our family season and our parenthood part two episode, I spoke very, very highly of the montage that they had in the series finale of parenthood. But the reason why that montage works is because nothing felt rushed and nothing felt unrealistic or forced because we saw all the things for years prior leading up to the, the events of the montage. Right. Mm. Like, we saw the family moving in this trajectory to begin with. These relationships had already been established. I think the only relationship in the montage that wasn't previously established was Drew's sister. The only relationship that wasn't previous, previously established is a relationship with the husband that we end up seeing her with in the montage. But we had established that she wasn't going to end up with her son's father, that that relationship was toxic for them both and he had a lot of growth to do. We still see him in the montage having a relationship with his son, however. We see the progression of Cosby's, fam Crosby's family with his wife, Jasmine. We see her pregnant with her third child. We see her their baby, Aida, grown and sitting on his niece's lap we see him and his niece still forget the character's name running that record label together we know these people so this trajectory feels good you guys threw in a bunch of people at the 11th hour and tried to make this thing work <laughs> right why why would you do that like we don't we barely know billy she just got here we don't know coop we barely know henry <laughs> I hate to be that person, but making new people work is very, very hard. And this was also super annoying because you have all these great people. And I would have liked to get to know these characters if they'd been introduced like one or two seasons ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that we're supposed to care about. It's also sort of upsetting that we're having to, in our last season, which I think should be like really focused completely on the girls and sort of their endings and their relationships with the, each other were having to make room for like this Billy Christie plot and the fact that like Christie has to die and all this drama and like they take Leo away again for a reason and we have to care about Billy and her family dying which like it's just a lot there's a lot it's a lot in there it's a lot. I mean, well, here's some highlights. Two highlights. Liz Fair performs. Yay. Love her. Um, now, season seven, 
Piper's Leo's Piper's powers continue to grow. Leo rega- Phoebe regains the power of premonition. Paige learns remote orbing, orbing other people without contact, and omnilingualism. Basically, she can understand every language on the planet. And this season, their powers also continue to grow. Paige learns healing, photokinesis, and hovering as part of her skill set. So they don't neglect the growth of these our leads powers but they do neglect their personal growth um or in the growth of their relationship this was the first season where i felt like the plot wasn't really centered on the family units there were just so many interlopers (laughs) yeah season eight good bad or basic it was basic minus same i would give it a basic minus I hate it because that is their last season. But I also love that these shambles occurred in the last season. I think they wanted so badly to wrap everything up in a neat little package. And these patriarchal views that no one is happy without marriage or children really harmed that last season more than it helped it. Maybe that was the right road for Piper's character. And we did see the way that her relationship with Leo grew. But having them have male children... And then later trying to give us that same energy for Phoebe in particular, who, as you said, really is someone who should have just been a single mom or just the fun auntie, really didn't hit. There would have been something so rewarding about Phoebe in particular being an advice columnist, being a good advice columnist in writing books about giving advice. And then like, she's just like alone. She's by herself. (laughs) Like... Or she's like a single, or she's a single mom. There, there could have been something really wonderful to that, but they decided not to. One thing she could I have will, been there, Aunt Wendy. <laughs> she could have been Aunt Wendy. One thing I really will say though is that, like, that I really liked at the at the end of the montage when they're looking at all the pictures of everybody on the family wall. I love all those pictures. I love how great they look because, like, my biggest pet peeve is like bad Photoshop or like bad pictures on television shows yeah you see them all the time but these ones look really good i have not hardcore watched the reboot mostly because i don't care um same that's no and that's no shade to them i just don't care like i'm not the audience for it and that's fine you can't be everything to everyone and i'm sure they know that um over the kids over there who run that show and I'm yeah. sorry, I don't mean the kids, but like the people over there who run that show. It's great. I think it's still great. I think you should still watch it. I think if you should watch, you watch it. I think you should watch a season with Prue. I think you should watch season three with Prue to sort of feel what that was like. But other than that, I think um, start with like season five and season six. I think those are the, the strongest seasons of the show. I think those are the best ones. For me, my favorite seasons would probably be seasons, um, uh, probably I want to say two, three, um, four, and seven. Yeah. Those are the four seasons I'm, I'm picking out of the litter. Um, but specifically season eight, what are your favorite episodes? I don't really have any. I think it's so, it all sort of blends together for me, to be real. Yeah, I mean, I, there were some episodes that were cute and fun, like um, Desperate House Witches. We go to Wyatt's school play. That was cute. Um, Rewitched was fun. That was episode five. Hocus Pocus, episode nine. 
yeah, that's about it. Just episodes that were fun and cute, comedic. Episode, season eight left a lot to be desired, and sometimes even that great acting could not cover the spread for me. Sorry. Yeah, same. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made the last four seasons of Charmed good, bad, basic, and spellbinding. If you'd like to check out the series, Charmed is currently streaming on Netflix. Please let us know your thoughts on this series via our Twitter or Instagram. If you're a GBB patron in our top two tiers, be sure to check out our Charmed Spotify playlist. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week when we'll be diving into the first half of the hit Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff series, Angel. If you'd like to check out the series before then, Angel is currently streaming on Hulu. Follow The Good, The Bad, The Basic on all major podcast platforms to listen to our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time, bye everyone. Mm -hmm.